Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And here we are on a Tuesday, May 14. Uh, hello, everybody. New York Times reporting Donald Trump ready to send as many as 120,000 American troops to the Middle East to deal with Iran. Here we go. One more war. Donald Trump's war. Let's hope not. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, joining you all across this great land of ours on the radio, on television, and uh, online with all the news of the day. Again, as we always say, there is never a dull moment, never a bad or slow news day in Donald Trump world, and certainly not true for today with this breaking news this morning about as many, the White House reviewing plans for sending as many as 120,000 uh, American troops to the Middle East to deal with any situation that could develop in Iran. That work is the work of, according to the New York Times, none other than uh, war-crazy John Bolton, who, God forbid, is now uh, our national security advisor. Also, Talk about war. We got an all-out trade war between China and the United States, with China retaliating yesterday against Donald Trump's tariffs, and, of course, the ongoing war between Donald Trump and the United States Congress, sparking a real, honest-to-God constitutional crisis. Whoa! So much going on on so many fronts. We'll get into it with all of you and look forward to hearing from you. Your comments about what's going on, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Let's send some good vibes down to uh, Georgia, where former President Jimmy Carter is recovering. He fell and he broke his hip. I know, over the poor weekend. guy. Poor guy. Ninety-four years old. Plus, he is now years the young. oldest. I mean, the president who has lived the longest. 
right? Yeah. A former president, right? And by the way, he, it's not like president. he was just like, you know, puttering around the house. He was preparing to go turkey hunting. He was going out to go turkey hunting. When he fell and yeah. he broke his hip. Now, he had a statement uh, put out by his team saying that he had surgery. He is recovering comfortably and, quote, President Carter said that his main concern is that turkey season ends this week and he has not reached his limit. I know. I that know. is what he is worried about. The statement goes on to say he hopes the state of Georgia will allow him to roll over the unused limit to next year. You're only allowed to bag so many turkeys in one season, and he's got some unused ones, so he wants to use them next season. I, I think, think that's only fair. I think they might be able to pull a couple of strings. I, I, or, you know, they could wheel him out there in a wheelchair sure. out in the woods and let him take a couple of shots. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I always love these stories about the weird laws that get either put into place or revealed oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, they're always well, fun. Last week, Arizona had a new one. They, uh, their governor, Doug Ducey, signed a bill taking nunchucks off of the list of prohibited weapons that you are allowed, you are not allowed to have. It used to be illegal to own nunchucks in the state of Arizona. Well, no more. You can now own them. There's still a list that says you cannot have bombs, gun silencers, or automatic firearms, automatic weapons, are. Uh, technically prohibited in the state of Arizona, uh, but uh, nunchucks are no longer outlawed. The big push. Are, there, by the are way, they going to make it the official state weapon of Arizona? Yeah, they very well might. Yeah. They pointed yeah. out, by the way, that Arizona there is a thriving uh, martial arts competition community. A lot of people will go out there to participate in martial arts competitions, and of course, <laughs> big thing that takes place in these martial arts competitions: how well can you wield your nunchucks? So they said... Then it makes sense. It makes no sense to keep them prohibited. We're going to allow them. Everybody go out and buy <laughs> a pair of nunchucks now, if that's what you really Isn't want. Isn't McKenna in Arizona this week? Oh, she is, yeah. Maybe she'll bring us back some nunchucks. We should get a report from the field. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. All-out trade war between the United States and China. You thought it was coming? Uh-uh. It's here. We are in the middle of it, starting with Donald Trump's slapping an increasing tariffs on China last Friday and China retaliating yesterday morning. Hello, everybody. Here we go. It is the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today. We start out. At our studio, on our in our studio here on Capitol Hill, in Washington D.C., our nation's capital, and we reach out and join you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast. We're joined, we're with you online, on the radio, and on television. With all the news of the day, of course, the big story: this uh, escalating trade war with the United States and China, which has America's farmers, America's small businesses, and America's corp- big corporations. Uh, and American consumers all reeling with uh, the suffering that this, this is causing, the business losses this is causing, the higher prices this is causing, and the president of the United States saying, hey, everything's great, this is great, I love it, nobody's getting hurt, only the Chinese are getting hurt, which his own economic advisor, uh, Larry Kudlow, has disagreed with. 
Also, uh, we got a, re- a shocking report this morning about the uh, United States prepared to send as many as 120,000 troops to, to the Middle East to deal with Iran. And the Supreme Court yesterday slapping down Apple, saying a lawsuit, a uh, consumer lawsuit against Apple can continue, didn't take sides in it, but said the court, that case can continue, uh, a very unusual decision because the deci- it was a 5-4 decision where Brett Kavanaugh uh, switched sides and voted with the four liberals on the court. Uh, so, so much to talk about. That's why it's good to have you with us. As we join you on television on Free Speech TV, look at look at you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and all over Chicago and the greater Chicago area on the big progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. And, of course, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show where you uh, can also find our podcast. And uh, uh, I imagine most of you, um, if you're on Twitter, you follow us on Twitter. But uh, here's one more one more reminder. Um, you know, it's not just during the show that we tweet out what's going on all during the day, off and on. You'll hear from us, hear from Peter. Uh, sign up for Twitter, at BP Show. Sign up, uh, become, become part of our Twitter followers, at uh, BP Show. Yes, indeed. Let's just start out. We don't know a lot about it, but it's front page New York Times above the fold today uh, that the White House team of advisors under John Bolton uh, has prepared a plan for sending as many as 120,000 American troops. I believe that is more than we ever had even in Iraq or Afghanistan at one time. Maybe not on Iraq, but I think Afghanistan at any rate. That's a giant number of troops, 120,000 troops to the Middle East, not as a an invasion of Iran, but to station them in the Middle East uh, as a warning against Iran uh, that if any trouble develops, we are there to move in a very frightening proposition. Uh, Part of this, of course, is said they want these troops there in case Iran, get this, in case, this is what Bolton and White House aides are saying, uh, in case Iran starts to restart its nuclear weapons program. But of course, this is the same Trump administration that trashed the Iran nuclear deal, which prevented Iran from regaining or restarting its nuclear weapons program, which Iran had agreed to, which Iran was in compliance with, even the Secretary of State of the United States and the Director of National Intelligence agrees to that. So Iran was in compliance with the deal. Nonetheless, we trashed the deal because it was a deal that was made by President Obama, and Donald Trump couldn't let anything that Obama had done stand without being challenged or overturned. Um, So basically, we gave Iran the green light to continue to to restart its nuclear weapons program. They have not done so. Everybody else who signed the agreement, including Iran, continues to stick to the agreement. But now, having trashed it, we want to say, if they go ahead, which we've given the green light to do, we're going to send in American troops. Uh, a very scary proposition, uh, which would certainly escalate uh, troubles in the Middle East. Uh, we will keep our eye on that, uh, reported again by the New York Times today. Uh, no comment from Donald Trump on that. This is the brainchild of 
the man that he appointed the national security advisor who has wanted to go to war against Iran probably since he was in kindergarten, uh, John Bolton, uh, <clears throat> the man that Donald Trump would not appoint to the White House for a couple of years because he didn't like his mustache. Remember that? If he doesn't like his mustache, maybe still, but he loves his, uh, his approach to foreign policy, which is war, war, war. And speaking of war, yep, yesterday we knew it was going to happen, and it did. Uh, those of you who are regular uh, watchers and listeners to, uh, heard yesterday during the show, it was in the middle of the show, uh, that we got the news that China had, in fact, retaliated uh, to Donald Trump's action last Friday. Uh, he claimed that they were close to making a deal with China, uh, to, to a new trade deal with China, uh, that at the last minute China reneged on that deal, as according to the president, and therefore last Friday uh, he more than doubled the existing tariffs on $200 billion of Chinese goods from 10% up to 25%, uh, a real sledgehammer taken to American corporations and small businesses who depend on those goods from China for either their retail sales or parts that they need to make American products, uh, also a sledgehammer to American consumers who are going to end up paying higher prices uh, already uh, at Walmart or Costco or wherever they buy their MAGA hats, uh, among other among other goods. Um, we knew that China was just not going to roll over or stand by and let that happen. And sure enough, uh, China yesterday morning announced that they were increasing tariffs on $60 billion, 60 as opposed to two. $250 billion, or $200 billion for us, on $60 billion of goods um, that they sell to the United States, uh, and the trade war is on. Um, Donald Trump, of course, um, he everybody else seems concerned about this, uh, except Donald Trump, who uh, still kind of thinks it's a good deal. In fact, he yesterday uh, he was meeting with that's another whole story. <laughs> Victor Orban, yet another dictator, yet another hardliner, welcomed with open arms and high praise in the Oval Office. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. But Donald Trump, while they are talking to reporters, saying, well, here's the answer. As if, as if you could flick a switch, by the way, and do this overnight. Here's the answer. If you uh, are depending on um, buying some good things from China... Uh, to sell, well, then just make them yourself here. We don't have to pay any tariffs if you're a manufacturer in this country. You pay nothing. Open your division or open up your product. Have it made in this country as opposed to made in China. See, it's easy, right? Like, okay, yeah. He's not wrong in that, in, in one sense. But also, it ain't going to happen overnight. It's exactly, it's not flipping a switch. Like I would love for more Ameri or more companies to make their products here in America. Okay? Amen. That's great. Amen. I think that's a right. great winning right. message. Encourage them to do so, and discourage them from making things overseas. Is that where we are right now? But Can we, we just do that overnight? No. There is an international supply chain. We've been, you know, we've been through this so many times, right? I mean. American car manufacturers, they get parts from Mexico, they get parts from Europe, they get parts from China, from Japan. Uh, they ship parts there. I mean, th this is there's like no car made any one place anymore, right? Yeah, now sure, GM, 
Chrysler, whomever, uh, they could convert some factories to making certain parts here that they are now buying from China. But again, in the meantime, they're going to pay more, and you and I are going to pay for more. That's that's the main thing. In fact, let's remember, uh, again, we played this yesterday, but it's worth coming back to, Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, in fact, contradicted the president on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace and said, without using these exact words, Donald Trump is wrong. Our country can take in $120 billion a year in tariffs, paid for mostly by China, by the way, not by us. A lot of people try and steer it in a different direction. It's really paid, ultimately, it's paid for by, largely by China. But Larry, that isn't true. It's not China that pays tariffs. It's the American importers, the American companies that pay what in effect is a tax increase and oftentimes passes it on to U.S. consumers. Uh, fair enough. In fact, both sides will pay. Both fair sides will enough. pay in these things. And of course, it depends. Well, if it's a tariff on goods coming pay. into the country, the Chinese aren't paying. Uh, no, but the Chinese will suffer GDP losses and so forth um, with respect to they a diminishing think, export yeah. market and goods that they may <clears throat> need for their own. Uh, I understand that, but the president says China doesn't. Uh, China it pays the tariffs. They may suffer consequences, but it's U.S. Businesses and U.S. consumers who pay, correct? Uh, yes, to some extent. I, mean, yeah, I don't uh, disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, right. You, know, you almost have to feel sorry for Larry Kudlow that he's forced to defend a policy you know he doesn't believe in. At the same time, nobody's got to put a gun to his head. He's doing it willingly. He's sold his soul to the devil, right? He, he, he's, he's agreed to prostitute himself for Donald Trump, uh, and that's exactly what he's doing. Well, it's like, it's like you for said the yesterday. glory of a White House job. It's like you said yesterday. Larry Kudlow's been on TV for a long, long right. time. And he's right? made he enough money. He's got no. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How many TV shows? Multiple TV shows. I've been on right. his show many times. There's a long history of Larry Kudlow talking about how bad tariffs are. A tariff war would yes. be. Yes. Yes. Right? You, you said it yesterday. It, he's been he's gone on the record multiple times, and in that one clip that we just played of him with Chris Wallace, three different times he said, "Yeah, you're right. D Donald Trump yeah, does know right. what he's talking yeah, about." Right. But then immediately sort of gave a little caveat there. The more we hear from Donald Trump, the more it's become very, very clear that he has no idea what he's doing when it comes to money. He doesn't have a clue. No idea. He did nothing. His great business career was losing money. That's the main thing he accomplished. And wrecking companies. And, and, and now he's in the process of wrecking the U.S. economy uh, with this stupid tariff war. Think it is about dumb, dumb. Dumb. We, we talked about this plenty, and I don't think it can be talked about enough, and, and I'm not sure that this is necessarily the thing that's going to sink Donald Trump because people sort of know what they they know what they need to know about Trump. But you look at that New York Times piece about how much money he lost. Yeah, right. A billion dollars. And what I don't think anybody is mentioning in this necessarily is this was during an economic Boom. Boom. Right. I mean, people were making money so, hand over fist during this time, and he lost a billion dollars. So now you want to trust him, give him the keys to the economy, right? Yeah, which he's uh, about to drive in, uh, already starting to drive into a ditch. And by the way, just one final comment from Donald Trump yesterday. While everybody else is concerned, and again, major corporation, Goldman Sachs, 
put out a report yesterday or memory yesterday just to all, all of their customers, just basically, this is the worst thing that could happen to the American economy right now is this trade war with China. And uh, so we're hearing it from the financial institutions. We're hearing alarm from big corporations. We're hearing alarm from American farmers who were already hurting because China was buying uh, fewer and fewer, uh, less and less in American crops because of the 10 percent tariffs that are now 25 percent tariffs. It's just going to get even worse. Not to, mention the, for, not to mention the market yesterday. Not to mention the market crashing 617 points. But is Donald Trump concerned? No. We're in, he said yesterday, I like the position we're in right now. We're in a very good position. Uh, we're in a great position right now, no matter oh. what we do. Yeah, I think China wants to have it because companies are already announcing that they're leaving China because they can't do that. They you know, it reminds me of a guy who's uh, up on the platform with his head under the guillotine, right? And it's about to drop. He says, we're in a very good position right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. Who does, who's he kidding? I mean, oh my God! At any rate, uh, that is um, uh, that is the bad news on the trade front. Meanwhile, big news at the Supreme Court yesterday. Uh, this is a very interesting lawsuit, and this lawsuit has uh, has profound implications. Um, but as I understand it, it comes down to this: there's a group of consumers who sued Apple because they believe what Apple required is that if you want on your iPhone. You want to download certain apps, and you go to the App Store, which we do all the time, right? Uh, you can only download it from the Apple Store, and uh, in doing so, you could only buy it there for your iPhone. Had to go through the App Store, Apple App Store, and Apple would take a certain percentage of whatever you or I paid for the app. Therefore, they could jack up the price, and you and I had no choice because we were not able to get the app anywhere else. Uh, some consumers say that's a monopoly. Uh, that means Apple is sticking it to us, and we have no choice. And so they wanted to sue Apple. Apple said, uh, no, 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 this lawsuit has no merit. It can go, not go forward. Uh, and that challenge went all the way up to the Supreme Court which ruled yesterday uh, in a very stunning decision, five to four, five to four, that this lawsuit does have merit, that uh, at least has worth considering, right? Again, the justices did not take a stand for or against Apple, but they did say only against Apple to this extent that the lawsuit can go forward. These consumers do have a right to file this lawsuit to challenge Apple on this so-called monopoly on the in the App Store, and the surprising uh, part of that decision was that it was the four uh, liberal justices, so Stephen Breyer and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elena Kagan, and Sonia Sotomayor, joined by Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh siding not the not the so-called swing vote, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts. Brett Kavanaugh siding with the four liberals uh, in that decision. Uh, against Apple. Very, very interesting with, again, great reaper, big repercussions uh, throughout, the, um, throughout the Silicon Valley, for sure. 
Um, one other little thing that's uh, going on on the on the Congress and uh, part of the ongoing tension uh, between the Trump White House and the and the Congress. We talked a lot yesterday about this constitutional crisis, which is in fact ongoing. We're in the middle of it, where Donald Trump has challenged every single effort by every Democratic committee to conduct any uh, oversight hearings refusing to cooperate. There are some 20 different investigations or oversight hearings or probes underway by various committees into all kinds of different department, federal agencies and departments, uh, including the White House. Donald Trump has said, we're not going to cooperate with anything that the Democrats in the House do. No witnesses, no documents, no nothing, no cooperation. Uh, so that, that, and then even though some subpoenas have been issued, and now we're we're in the middle of that battle, but it's not just the White House versus the Democrats in Congress. It's also a little constitutional crisis that has flared up in the Senate, and this is pitting Republicans against Republicans. The Senate Intelligence Committee, led by ultra-conservative Richard Burr from North Carolina, wanted to hear again, wants to hear again from Donnie Jr. Donald Trump Jr. He testified once, but there's a question about whether or not he lied under oath when he told the committee that he didn't tell his father anything about that famous June 2016 uh, meeting at Trump Tower where the Russian operative came in allegedly to give them some dirt on Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump Jr. set the meeting up for that purpose. He told the Senate Intelligence Committee that he never told his father about it. In the Mueller report, it indicates, it, it quotes Michael Cohen as saying that Donald, he was there when Donald Trump Jr. called and told his father about this meeting. So there's a little question here. Did he lie under oath the last time around? They would just want to clarify things. They're not accusing him of anything yet. So they uh, had uh, asked Donald Trump Jr. to come in and testify again. Uh, he agreed. This is this is according to the chairman, Richard Burr, Republican, North Carolina. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. agreed, and then he said he couldn't make it after all, or something. Delayed it. So then they gave him another date, and then he agreed, and then he said, "No, I'm, I can't come then either." And so finally, Richard Burr ordered that a subpoena be issued to Donald Trump. And now the question is, will Donald Trump Jr. Uh, adhere to that subpoena, respect that subpoena, and show up or not. And Republicans in the Senate are split. Richard Burr says he's got to show up. Lindsey Graham, chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, actually publicly advised Donald Trump Jr., first of all, to take the fifth, and secondly, just... Don't even bother, don't even bother to show up, said Lindsey Graham. And if I were Donald Trump Jr.'s lawyer, I would tell him, you don't need to go back into this environment anymore. You've been there for hours and hours and hours, and nothing being alleged here changes the outcome of the Mueller investigation. Whoa, so think about that. Think about that. That could mean, right, that uh, if, if he, if Donald Trump refuses, then... What Richard Burr could do, and, and uh, by the way, uh, Chuck Grassley, who is now chair of the Senate 
I think he's Senate Finance Committee now. He moved from judiciary to finance, I believe. At any rate, uh, Chuck Grassley yesterday said, and, and so is Richard Burr, if Donald Trump Jr. refuses to follow the subpoena, this could go to a vote on the Senate floor, vote on, on the Senate floor whether or not to enforce that subpoena. And that would force Republicans to take a stand. Again, constitutional crisis. Do they stand for the duties and responsibilities uh, of the United States Congress for which they took an oath to follow? Or do they stand with their president who is trying to defy? I thought Senator, pardon me, Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut uh, made a good point yesterday when he pointed out, you know, his name may be Donald Trump Jr., but that doesn't mean he has any special standing under the law. He has no lawyer-client privilege with the president of the United States. He is the son of the president, but there is no son of the president privilege. He can claim the Fifth Amendment, but he is required to come before the committee and claim it himself. And the, the kinds of resistance that we're seeing here is nothing more than putting himself above the law. Whoa, whoa, yep, there you go. So a little bit of news on the 2020 front. Oh, just what we need. We have another candidate today, another Democratic candidate. You know, I know I was out of town last week, out of the country, and Michael Bennett jumped in from uh, Colorado, Senator Michael Bennett. Today, Governor Steve Bullock from Montana has jumped in, and Bill de Blasio from New York says he's going to announce this week. He was going to announce last week. He didn't. He's going to announce his intentions this week. But for today, the news is um, Steve Bullock, he's been planning on running for a long time. He hired a staff. Everybody said as soon as the legislature was finished with its session, he was, he was waiting until that. Well, that's over. And so now he's in. And frankly, I will admit to you, friends and neighbors, I've lost count. Uh, we are... <laughs> We did such a good job for so long. I, I did. I was so proud of myself. Really I had it job. down to every damn candidate. <laughs> and I think it was 20 when I left. And I so I think it's 22 now. It could be 23. I, some people I, say 23. Some people say 22. Some people discount, you know, like Tulsi and Mary yeah. Williamson but, and Andrew Well, Yang. but you can't until they drop I, out. I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, and the Democratic National Committee has said, only 20 will be on stage. Well, some of them are going to not just not make it on their own, yeah. right? But if uh, 22 did make it on their own, meaning they meet the, met the criteria, of uh, then they're going to have to, I don't know, do a little triage. It, it really is kind of amazing that the people that are getting in now have virtually, and I don't necessarily mean this in a negative way, uh, but they have virtually no excitement around their campaign. No, like, you know no, what I mean. No, like they they uh, have such an uphill battle. I am sure that Steve Bullock is a good man, uh, sure. a good governor, would make a good president of the United States. But it's just pointless for him, in my opinion, to jump in right now. Uh, same thing. I I'd couldn't say, pick him out of a lineup. I couldn't either. <laughs> same. He walked in here and wanted no to sit idea. down. I'd say, you know, <laughs> uh, that. The, the trash can is over there. You can take it out and empty it. Or, yeah. or don't run the vacuum yet. Or right, I don't right, know. Right, right. Right. I have yeah. no idea. No idea what it looks like. Uh, let's just find one final point here before we take a break. We have a great lineup of guests for you today. Uh, you know, you've heard me talk about it before. Uh, you know, and I think it's true, most of you, uh, I don't like Bill Barr at all. I mean, this attorney general, 
I did once have a pretty good impression of him. I thought he was a pretty well-respected conservative, yes, but well-respected, pretty fair person. After we saw his performance uh, with the Mueller report, uh, that news conference that he gave, his four-page summary, his total going into the, uh, going in doing, just becoming a Donald Trump yes man, yes man, uh, no respect for him at all anymore, and now even less after what I learned yesterday. Oh no! This is the worst of all. Oh no! The worst of all. He was Do doing so this? well. What what happened? Bill Barr plays the bagpipes. Oh no! Can you? Uh, <laughs> first of all, doesn't he look like a guy who plays the bagpipes? Yeah. I can just see him in a skirt. Oh, totally. Walking in, you know, with a, oh. But talk about, <laughs> as far from music as you can get, <laughs> right, is just pure screeching, <laughs> ear-splitting noise, the bagpipe. Well, I mean, and let's, let's just say this. Now he we know belongs to a bagpipe band. That's too much. Yeah. That's too yeah. much. Now we know why Donald Trump likes him so much. He's comfortable by uh, a giant bag of wind. <laughs> He's fine with it. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, you got to search on Google and see if we can get some sound of Oof. of uh, Bill Barr playing the bagpipe. I There's will. a whole article in the New Yorker, uh, one that I caught up with when I came home. I, I, about... I, I'm going to be very clear. I'm not going to just spring bagpipe music on you. You clearly have a visceral reaction to it. But I'll look. But, I'll yeah. look. But that's it. And by, I, I would have to say, if that had come up during his confirmation hearings, <laughs> he would have not been confirmed as attorney general. No. Uh, he would no. vote no. Hey, we're going to talk tariffs and learn a lot about tariffs from Sabrina Rodriguez, who's a trade reporter for Politico, uh, coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. Uh, i got to admit, this is not my area of expertise, so I'm looking forward to finding out more about it. Stay with us here. Quick break, and we'll be right back on the Bill Press Show. Tuesday, May 14th. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, May 14th, and welcome, everybody. Great to have you part of the program, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. And we come to you today thanks to the good support of the United Steelworkers Union and their international president, Leo Girard, United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing 1.2 million active and retired members. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Check out their website at usw.org and join me in welcoming uh, to the studio from Politico, uh, who covers trade issues and has been working overtime ever since Donald Trump got in the White House, Sabrina Rodriguez. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, thanks for having me. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, we got a lot to talk about with tariffs and everything, but... Um, we want to check in with our listeners and viewers who have been uh, commenting so far. Peter? Yes, indeed. Remember, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, where you can chime in and weigh in on any topic at any time. Uh, Luna says on your breaking yep. news story that uh, <laughs> Bill Barr plays the bagpipes, uh, I guess we should be grateful that Barr isn't a member of a barbershop quartet. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Uh Phil brings up a good point that you're hearing from more and more Democrats about Steve Bullock. Uh, he says Steve Bullock would make a good challenger to Senator Steve Daines. Uh, yes. There, there are a lot of people who are maybe running for president, thinking about running for president, who could be very effective challengers to Republican incumbents. 
that governors or senators. Governors or senators. And maybe they ought to take a look at some of those opportunities. Maybe. Maybe mm-hmm. Phil uh, brings that up. I think John Cornyn, for example, we very badly need a strong Democrat to run against John Cornyn in Texas. Julian Castro, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, if you have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. All right, Sabrina. Uh, I, this is Tariff 101 as far as I'm concerned. Tariffs 101, okay. So who pays tariffs? Americans pay tariffs. It's a tax on American importers, and then they can choose, U.S. companies can choose if they want to put it on the consumer, which usually they do if necessary. All right. So let me, let me just follow that through. So um, I want to buy, um, I'm a retailer, Sears or something. Sears still exists? I don't even know. Uh, Macy's. I want to buy some uh, luggage made in China, right? So now, for Donald Trump, I have to pay twenty. If so long, if, if that's on the list, right? Mm-hmm. I have to pay a twenty-five percent tariff on top of whatever China uh, that that Chinese company is charging for that. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Where does that money go? I pay it to whom? Well, you're paying it to U.S. Customs. Okay. So there, when yeah. he says the whole that there's all this money going into the Treasury. In theory, there is, but it's not being paid by China. It's being paid by U.S. companies that have to do it if they want to get these products. Good point. Okay. And then, ultimately, uh, let's say Macy's is going to take that suitcase and put it on display, and I want to go buy it. It's going to cost more, right, because they had to pay more for it. Yeah. It's very unlikely that Macy's is going to say, we'll take that extra charge that we just had to pay. Right. Um, so the money, again, is, is when Donald Trump says the money is going into the U.S. Treasury, it's not. Or, or it's going through customs, though. It's yeah. going through customs. It's coming Got. into the U.S., but yeah. it's not coming from China. It's coming Got. from the U.S. Com- coming from the U.S., right. Yes. So in, in, in other words, if we're making more money, right, we're paying more money, too. Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, now, we Donald Trump has slapped these tariffs on, so it went from 10% to 25% on goods that are, we purchased from China. Mm-hmm. How many, what's the total amount of goods? So he already had tariffs on $50 billion, and yeah. that's going untouched, but he raised the tariffs on $200 billion now, yeah. and that's on everything from, like, there's different medical equipment, there's different clothing on that list. What What else is on the list? Washers, dryers. Washers, dryers. Um, There's, I mean, there's different medical equipment. I remember, like, one of the things that got exempt was pacemakers, but then on there there was other equipment, syringes, things like that. So it's everything. Um, I saw this morning in the New York Times that, um, got it here, the the largest among Chinese export categories to the United States is cell phones followed by laptops, and followed by toys. $44.5 billion in cell phones, $37.2 billion in laptops, and $12.2 billion in toys. So um, we're, we're going to pay more for Are these on the list? So we're not there yet, but Trump has threatened on top of he already raised tariffs on $200 billion. He's threatening to put tariffs on the rest of what the U.S. buys from China, which is, which total... is another $300 billion. Right. So it would be over $500 billion worth of goods that he'd be putting that on. And that would hit our iPhones. That would hit our laptops. That would hit clothing, footwear. 
I mean, that's like the Nikes that you buy. Oh, I don't know if Nikes are made in China, actually, but shoes that you'd be buying would be more expensive. All right. So among American businesses, who is hurt by these tariffs? Well, everyone, I would say. There's a, I mean, you see the people that are being hit the hardest, though, are farmers, for sure. They Because commodity prices are lower than ever, they've already had you know different climate catastrophes in the past year that are already making it harder for them. And there's, I mean, if you talk to lawmakers on the Hill, they'll tell you about how there's a record year of farm bankruptcies. And part of that is because of this trade war and is because of the uncertainty that it's caused for where soybeans are going to go and where corn is going to head. And so th for the farmers, these are people who are not buying Chinese products necessarily, but exporting. Mm -hmm. So it means that the Chinese whatever companies, are, whether the retail grocery chains or whatever, that are buying soybeans or buying whatever are going to buy fewer American products because they have to pay more for them. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's U.S. companies, small businesses, for example, small, we did a story recently about um, small furniture stores and they bring in furniture from China or selling it and, you know, in different communities. And now it's way more expensive to get that. So it's small businesses. I mean, the large companies are feeling it too. Goldman Sachs has already come out and said, you know, this has not been good. This has been adding a cost for you as companies and will add a cost for you as consumers. Uh, so it's there's a widespread agreement that this is not good for Americans. All right. Now, Donald Trump has been tweeting this morning nonstop about these tariffs. OK, uh, I can't bring them all up here, um, but let me just. So this is 51 minutes ago. I'd love just to get your comment on these. We, first of all, he's obsessed with this, obviously. He's been up for the last hour and a half tweeting mm -hmm. about tariffs. We can make a deal with China tomorrow before their companies start leaving so as not to lose USA business. But the last time we were close, they wanted to renegotiate the deal. No way. We are in a much better posi position now than any deal we could have made. And? Well, those are the Trump the Trump morning tweets for sure before the markets open because he's seen what a negative effect this has had on it. But I mean, so he's they, trying to spin it. That he said it yesterday. I love the position we're in, right? Yeah. So he's trying to spin it. That this is this is good for America, right? And he thinks by the numbers that it's okay because China announced yesterday it was going to retaliate on the U.S. It's increasing tariffs on sixty billion dollars of U.S. goods. So Trump, Trump mathematics is he's going through it and saying, well, we're putting tariffs on potentially 500 billion. Mm -hmm. China just upped it on 60 billion and they have a tariffs on a total of 110 billion. So by that logic, we have more leverage here. Um, and he that's the way that he's looking at it, that he has more leverage in this situation because there's more money involved. Were we close to making a deal with China and did they um, renege? So for the past month, we thought, I mean, there was a lot of hype around the idea that there would be a deal that, I mean, Steven Mnuchin and um, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer had both come out and said, you know, we will know whether we have a deal or we don't have a deal by last week. And they went to China, and when they came back from China days before the last round, what was thought to be the mm -hmm, last round, mm -hmm. they came back and China had said, well, we agreed to these things, but we're not going to put it into law. We we and and that was the point. They thought that China had agreed to these things, so China did step back according to their account of the conversations. Uh, okay, I want to pick up uh, if I can. It's just so hard to follow these. 
um, the last one, uh, well, he, he talked about, and, and he made this point, that uh, the farmers are going to be okay because we're going to take part of this money we're getting to Treasury and we're going to give it back, give it to farmers, like give some extra subsidies for farmers to make up for what they're losing. I mean, this seems to be a, like a catch-22, right? You stick it to the farmers and then you give them some money to make up for what you cost them. Yeah, and the farmers are saying thanks but no thanks because they, I mean, for months, so he's done this with the other rounds of tariffs that he put on China. He's offered trade aid, as they're calling it. Is that, yeah. And what the what farmers are saying is okay we appreciate that obviously that you recognize that we're hurting but also there's long-term pains here we're losing market access to other countries and for example soybeans being a huge one especially in iowa for example he's they're saying you know china's buying from other places and why is china going to later on buy from us and how is that going to work out and as well as i mean trump has tariffs on other countries and they're facing retaliation from mexico canada the european union and they're seeing those markets go down. They're seeing that, okay, well, Mexico's buying pork from other places. Why is Mexico going to come back to the table and buy pork from the U.S. after all of this? Right. We have tariffs on what other – Donald Trump has put tariffs on what other countries? We, so he put uh, steel and aluminum products, and that's on the majority of countries. So he mm -hmm. negotiated a few um, side agreements with these countries, but – Mexico and Canada are the big ones. Now, one of the things that that uh, is sort of overshadows maybe this trade war, or is certainly part of it, uh, and it's a curious part of it, is that after railing against China as a candidate, once Donald Trump was elected, the first foreign leader that he entertains is President Xi of China in the famous meeting at Mar-a-Lago with the beautiful chocolate cake. And Don, and he's now been at the White House, and Donald Trump keeps talking about what great friends they are, right? I mean, what's that all about? I mean, is this friendship existent or non-existent, or do you go to war with your friends? I mean, you know, how does this factor in? It seems like a going to war with friends, though, because he does just this morning part of those tweets yeah, included saw. it, where he was saying, you know, this is a great friend, and I have great respect for him. Um, and I think because of that great respect for him, he's trying to drive a hard bargain with President Xi. Uh, I don't necessarily know how much that will work. I think it's an open question who's going to budge on this. But they are scheduled to meet next month um, at the on the sidelines of G20 in Japan. And the idea would be that maybe they would close a deal then. Uh, but, I mean, given where things are at right now, it's unclear. It seems unlikely that in a side meeting at a G20 session that they're going to resolve this these trade differences, right? Yeah. I mean, there is I mean the one thing of them seeing each other though will be, you know, their negotiators can only go so far, but it will take uh, the last mile will have to be them saying, "Okay, well this is how we're going to sell the deal. This is how we're going to present it." Uh, because obviously China's not going to come out and say, "We this was a great defeat for us." So, mm -hmm. but but Trump will want to sell a deal that way. One uh strange thing, yes, I thought that the president said um he had some advice yesterday uh, for American companies that may be uh, adversely impacted by not being able to get these products from China. Uh, so Donald Trump said, there's an easy solution here. We don't have to pay any tariffs if you're a manufacturer in this country. You pay nothing. Open your division or open up your product. Have it made in this country as opposed to made in China. 
So don't buy them from China, he's saying. Make them here, which, you know, is kind of good advice. But how realistic? I mean, we'd all be happier, I think, if the iPhones were made here and the laptops were made here, right? How realistic is that? I mean, it's not very realistic in the sense of, one, products would be way more expensive. A lot of goods that we make, a lot of goods that we purchase would be way more expensive if we made them in the U.S. But beyond that, I mean, supply chains are extremely integrated throughout the world, and it would cost countries, I mean, it would cost companies billions of dollars to come to the U.S. now, and that would take years. So it's not something that a company can say, okay, Apple can say, okay, we're just going to start making it in the U.S., that would take years and billions of dollars to bring. Well, first of all, to build those plants or to um, convert plants, right? I mean, where they now have, as you say, a supply chain, getting the products that they need from whatever countries around the globe, either or exporting those products or, or, or parts, right? Yeah, and they work with different companies. Like Apple, for example, the Apple screens are not exactly made by Apple, but they're made by a company in China that they work with. So disentangling all of that would be really costly and, I mean, time-consuming. So that's not going to help this year. All right. So we saw yesterday that the Dow, uh, after China retaliated, said, oh, here we go. Well, And it went down 700 and some points and ended up 617 down. Uh, what... What can we, um, you know, what can we, what should we expect in terms of the impact if, if this trade war continues on the U.S. economy? It can't be good for the economy. It is not. Um, this definitely raises the risk of recession, the very scary word of recession for Trump, especially going into 2020. Uh, he wants to talk about having a strong economy. Uh, yesterday, he also talked about it. He actually used tariffs to justify, you know, in the first quarter having a 3.2% raising GDP. Um, and he's and he's trying to spin this as that's as this is part of that and this is all part of this larger plan. But by the 3.2%, which was healthy, uh, not as much as he promised, but was pretty healthy, happened before he slapped the tariffs on. I mean, increased the tariffs, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Hardly cause and effect here. Yeah, but he's using it to justify his larger strategy, saying, you know, we can withstand this because we have such a strong economy. And look, I already put tariffs before and we still had this strong economy that's thriving and can withstand this. Economists beg to differ, Wall Street analysts. I was going to say, are there any economists that you've talked to who agree with Donald Trump that this is all good and healthy for the American economy? Not that I've talked to, I would <laughs> say. <laughs> Peter Navarro in the White House probably agrees with Trump on this. Um, but even his economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, Acknowledge that this is painful for the U.S. I was just going to say, Peter Navarro might, but Larry Kudlow doesn't. Definitely In does his not. heart of hearts, he knows it's wrong. Yeah, he knows that this is not good for markets, and he knows that this is not good for U.S. consumers or companies. Uh, so uh, it, 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 do you think that economic pressure could, um, could build up to the point, where, or the economic performance down to the point where Donald Trump has to recalibrate here? I mean, that's an open question because right now Congress, for example, is still on his side on this. I mean, Republicans are not going to fight him on it. They hate the tariffs. Um, I was going to say they don't agree with him either. They don't agree with him, but they're not publicly denouncing it. They're saying, you know, we're already in this negotiation, so let's get a good deal. And Democrats are saying the same. Democrats are saying this isn't exactly the way we would have wanted to get into this. We would have wanted to negotiate with China, with our allies, crack down in that way. But now that we are here, then let's make sure that we get a good deal and that the tariffs were for not, weren't for nothing. Right. 
And and by the way, this is all happening. You mentioned uh, the Congress. They may not agree, but they haven't said much, and they, in a sense they don't have to say much. This is all done by ex- executive action, yes. correct? Yes. So he has, it's under, it's called Section 301, <laughs> but Congress could, in theory, they've talked about putting out legislation that would try and curb his power to put tariffs and give a little more power to Congress on this, but there hasn't been much traction for it, and, I mean, there's not much... Republicans who would be leading it don't want to cross Trump. So whatever happens with China, it's going to be, it's all in Donald Trump's hands. Yes, as of right now, yes. Right. Okay, one thing that is in Congress's hands is the so-called new NAFTA, the USMCA, if I have it right. Yes. Right. What's the status of that at the present time? It's not going well right now. Um, they haven't introduced. If you t- it. if you listen to Donald Trump, it's already he's already talking about we've got this new NAFTA, the USMCA, and it's great, and everybody's happy, and this is a great new trade deal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist, does it? The person who determines the future of that right now is Nancy Pelosi. That is, she decides what the future of this is. She decides if it comes for a vote. And right now, she's been very clear that it's not going to come for a vote unless the Trump administration makes changes to what they already negotiated. It has to pass both houses of Congress? Yes. What are the problems with that uh, uh, the Democrats or Pelosi have with? So Democrats are saying the biggest issue is labor enforcement. You know, w- Lighthizer, the U.S. trade representative, he negotiated stronger labor standards in this agreement. I think all of Washington would agree on that statement. But the issue is how enforceable that is. And if they're negoti- if they negotiated with Mexico for Mexico to improve their labor standards, how will the U.S. be able to ensure later on that Mexico actually follows through on the things it promised in the agreement? That's the big one. And then beyond that, there's concerns about pharmaceuticals. And mm-hmm. a lot of freshman Democrats say, you know, they came into Congress with this mandate to lower drug prices. And their argument is that the agreement locks in provisions that would result in keeping high prescription drug prices. And they're saying there's no place for that in a trade agreement. So in this trade agreement, it does not include being able to uh, import drugs legally from Canada, right? No, that's not a part of the deal. But they have different um, intellectual property aspects to it that are locking in. You know, only certain drugs can be sold within 10 years. And that part is where people say, you know, it could complicate U.S. efforts. Do we have a trade surplus or deficit today? We have a trade deficit still. Do you know how big it is? Well, I guess it. Right I guess it is with each country. You have to calculate with each country, right? Yeah, it's with each country depending. With Canada, for example, depending on the month, is if we're running a surplus or a deficit. Uh, uh, right. Uh, but I remember broadly, Trump and. Uh, uh, Trudeau got into this back and forth about whether or not we have a surplus or yeah, and depending Trump's on proud, what you count. Trump's proud right now because this past month, for example, it showed that the deficit with China is going down. But I mean, that's obviously in large part because this trade war. Mm-hmm. Is it a problem? Is a trade deficit a problem? I mean, many economists say not necessarily. That's what I'm getting There's, at. I've heard that too. There is debate. I yeah. would say there is debate between what is a healthy trade deficit, but... Overall, no, not necessarily, because it shows there's a healthy economy and people are buying. But here's the here's the uh, disconnect that I see, which is, I I do hear people uh, complain about or worry about a trade deficit that we don't have with China or a trade deficit we might have. I don't know, name it: Canada, Japan, uh, Argentina. I don't care. And yet, you don't you don't hear any voices today among Republican so-called conservative hawks about the 
financial or the budgetary deficit that we have, you know, which keeps growing every year. They keep adding to with these tax cuts and this big military spending, and that deficit keeps growing and growing and growing, and everybody says, basically, what deficit? Who cares, right? So yeah. a, little, a little disconnect there. Uh, I feel like I understand the situation a lot better, and I'm more convinced than ever that what Donald Trump is doing is as dumb as hell. Um, I'm saying that. You're not saying that, Sabrina. But thank you so much for coming in and uh, helping us understand this issue. Uh, you can follow Sabrina at Politico at politico.com. Aswin Subsang joins us from the Daily Beast uh, at the next after uh, right here at the top of the hour. And we'll be joined by Nikki Schwab a little bit later from the New York Post. Thanks, Sabrina. Thank you. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is an all-out trade war now between the United States and China. China retaliating on the new tariffs that Donald, the increased tariffs that Donald Trump slapped on China last Friday. Hey, hello, everybody. We'll see how that plays out. It is The Bill Press Show, and this is Tuesday. Tuesday, May 14, we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio in Capitol Hill with all the news of the day, such as it is on many fronts. Yes, the uh, trade war with China, uh, the constitutional crisis between, I believe, that's what we're in the middle of, uh, between the White House and Congress uh, over um, whether or not uh, the White House has to comply with subpoenas issued by Congress. The Supreme Court... Uh, sending Apple a um, pretty serious message yesterday that the lawsuit against Apple must go forward. Brett Kavanaugh, of all people, siding with the four uh, Supreme Court liberals on that decision. And a whole lot more to talk about, which is why we're glad to uh, welcome to the program our good friend from the Daily Beast, Aswin Subsang Swin. It's good to see you this morning. Always good to see you. How have you been? Uh, I've been great. I just got back from 10 days vacation, so... Can't you tell? I'm rested and I, I tanned and you. ready. And <laughs> you, you look spry and uh, very... I um, suppose to beat revised. down as I normally am. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, as we all look. We all are, yeah. After, yeah, yeah. To be after, fair. After so. too much time here in Washington, D.C. At any rate, we've got lots to talk about, and we look forward to hearing from you on your comment on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Swint, you and I will get into it, but first... As always, this is the Full Court Press. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, let's go to Washington State, uh, where Governor right. Jay Inslee yes. is preparing to sign a new bill. It is a bill that allows a natural organic reduction when you pass away. What does that mean? Oh. Well, the easier way to phrase it is 
human composting. It is an environmentally friendly way to dispose of human remains after you die. So it doesn't take up any space in the burial plot. There's no carbon emissions. Well, they do grind you up. I'll, I'll tell you. They oh, have. Oh. They put you out to compost. Your body breaks down. It takes a little time, uh, but they do have an accelerated decomposition process. And w the average human body produces about two large wheelbarrows worth of compost. And family members can put it in an urn. They can use it in their garden. They can have... They can spread it on public lands, whatever they want to do. Whatever they want to do. But where is a body while it's composting? You they just have, pile it on your compost heap in the backyard? You don't do it personally at home. There are places, it's almost like a funeral home, where they have places that will compost your body for you. They'll put it in a yard. and They don't bury it at all. No burial at all. No burial at all. It's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, for those people who are... I think there could be certain odor problems. I'm not against it. I mean, I sure. just... I would imagine so. Lots I, of questions. I, I don't think it's going to be in urban areas where the composting actually takes place. I would uh, hope Because not. of that reason. But, yeah. uh, but there are people that are looking for more environmentally friendly ways Absolutely. to, uh, to Look, uh, enter the great beyond. Ev That's ever since way. Jessica Midford's book, right? Uh, yeah. What was that? The American... Oh, damn. Oh, God. Now I'm the American blanking. way, I'm yeah. blanking on it, but yeah. uh, somebody will tell us yeah, um, sure. that we just spend too much money on these funerals and these monuments and these, you know, it's just crazy, Amen. these crypts. And I mean, this, and some states require that, right? I've told you. You have to have the concrete vault, then the steel thing, and then the casket, and then. I've told you this before. When I die, again, uh, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to the body farm where the forensic scientists study different bodies and different levels of decomposition. So I'll, I'll just be hanging out that way. So I guess it's kind of a composting thing. You'll make great compost, Peter. I think I'll make a lot of good <laughs> compost. I just want to say right now, I think I'd make great compost. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. 120,000 troops to the Middle East just in case Iran makes any trouble. That's the news this morning, according to the New York Times, from the Trump White House, uh, all uh, the brainchild of National Security Advisor John Bolton. Just what we need, 120,000 troops in the Middle East. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? Hello, everybody. What do you say? Tuesday, May 14, good to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. As always, we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And we, and our little perch right in the middle of the action here on Capitol Hill, joining you on the radio, on television, and online, of course, uh, and inviting you to join us on Twitter. If you're not already following us on Twitter, uh, please do so. Just, uh, you know, it's at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, and love to have you among our Twitter followers. We're re rushing hard to keep up with as many Twitter followers as uh, Aswan Subsang from the Daily Beast has. All but you tweet touched. a lot more than we do. Good to see you, Swain. Nice to come. Thanks for coming in today. Anytime, Bill. Right. Uh, the Trump White House keeping you busy? 
as ever. Yeah. Well, so um, we've heard the president take credit for many things. Um, the economy, you know, relations with Hungary yesterday, uh, relations even today he still says he has the greatest friendship with uh, President Xi of China, even despite this little trade war going on. But I don't think we've ever seen a president take credit for a baseball team mm -hmm. uh, the way he did for the uh, Boston Red Sox. When the Red Sox came in. I don't know whether you were there. I wasn't when the Red Sox came. Most of them. The manager, Peter Wright, didn't come. Uh, yeah, he didn't go. He is uh, of Puerto Rican descent, and he specifically pointed out he's not going because of the lackluster response to, to Hurricane Maria and, it, and, and other uh, catastrophes that uh, hit Puerto Rico and how the administration handled them. So the Sox had won two games in a, whatever they were, just before they went to the White House. And then when they left the White House, they won the next three games. So Donald Trump tweeted out, has anyone noticed that all the Boston Red Sox have done is win since coming to the White House? Others also have done very well. The White House visit is becoming the opposite of being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. By the way, the Boston players were great guys, which I guess— The ones who showed up. The ones who showed up, yeah. Um what really? was the what was the Sports Illustrated point again? Is there some Sports I, I, Illustrated I, curse I'm unaware there of? There is yeah. a curse. Yeah. Okay, curse. Uh, well, yeah, there is gotcha. yeah. I was so, unaware of that too, but I looked it up a little bit. So, so you appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's like winning Best Supporting Actor. Like you, you have a <laughs> bad career. Well, even afterward. worse than that, some people who you know they you know they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, then they broke their leg, you know, yeah. or they were in a sport and then they uh, couldn't play anymore. So yeah. there's that curse. But I mean, to to translate that into. Hey, touch me, appear with me, and you'll be a winner forever. Well, I, I guarantee you a, a lot of um, um, uh, athletes have visited the Trump White House, and I guarantee you, like, if we do some light Googling, as, as was pointed out to me a, a day or two ago, at least one major team did not fare well right after they visited <laughs> President Trump. So, like, let's just set aside that for a moment. I, I guess the other thing is, yeah, you can um, – Make, I, you could make the case that Trump was kidding. You know, he, he does make jokes like this he's often. He's a funny guy. When he's speaking before cameras and speaking at fundraisers or events. And you can kind of tell when mm -hmm. he's doing it live in front of an audience or in front of the TV cameras because there's an inflection to it. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 when, it's a post, when it's posted to Twitter, it's a little harder to tell. But it kind of sounded like a joke uh, Trump would make and has made f for many years. Yeah. Having said that... He is in the barrel of gigantic, crushing size ego that, sure, maybe some part of him believes. I mean, I, I don't know. When he makes a not? joke about uh, claiming credit for everything, it just rings so true because he's always claiming credit for— Right. So the fact that he I mean, would he said, joke about— I saw about... a tweet the other day about the president that you love so much, right? <coughs> he was referring to himself, right? Mm -hmm. the, well— Hello. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the the fact that he jokes about this from time to time kind of gives a glimmer of self-awareness into the, like, if you're trying to peek into the mind of Donald J. Trump, I don't, I don't recommend doing that too often. <laughs> uh, but when you, w when he does offer glimpses of that, like, certain level of recurring, slightly recurring self-awareness, I think it's important in terms of understanding him, not just in terms of his personality, but in terms of his presidencies and if not necessarily his policies, the way he does politics and the way he 
understands media narratives. Uh, like one one thing that uh, upset the Red Sox fans, I think, a little more than Donald Trump's tweet was that on the official White House website, uh, it referred to the visit of the Red Sox, S-O-C-K-S, mm-hmm. so spelled on the White House website. Even when they spell it right, they spell it wrong. Right. I mean, that is how you spell socks. Uh, <laughs> but even when they not get if something you're right, a, It's true. It's right. true. And they also referred to them as the World Cup Series champions. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was sort of <laughs> doomed, doomed from the beginning. I mean, I don't, I don't follow I mean, baseball. I know nothing about it. But if I were to write a like White House press release coming officially, you know, from yeah, the United right. States federal government, I would like consult Wikipedia, like do, do you, and, and, you just, and just copy and paste from it. It's, uh, it's pretty standard stuff. Pretty standard stuff, exactly. Uh, yesterday, uh, the president made his. I uh, talked about tariffs, and we just spent a half an hour talking about tariffs. But he talked about tariffs with reporters while he was receiving and uh, with honor at the White House. Um, Prime Minister Viktor Orban or, or from Hungary. Mm-hmm. Um, this sort of follows a pattern, doesn't it, Swin? And you've written about this before of some of these hardliners or if, if not dictators that he's welcomed to the Oval Office. Absolutely. And past presidents, including President Obama, have certainly been no stranger to welcoming with open arms into the White House and selling uh, hundreds of millions upon billions of dollars but of not weapons. Orban. Not Orban. To, not right, that one. right. Yeah. To uh, foreign despots and dictators. Right. Those Obama and the Saudis. We, we could go on. So yeah. just doing that good point, throat good point, clearing. Fair for point. Yeah. Having said that, um, President Trump has um, um, shown a willingness to embrace not only in uh, Oval Office pool sprays, but in terms of rhetoric and actual political support and uh, material aid. To um, uh, foreign leaders um, and, as you point out, even despots and dictators who have horrific human rights and um, um, uh, track records, uh, a lot of them, including um, the Hungarian prime minister you just brought up, um, have a horrific track record, not just in record, but also policy when it comes to migrants and immigration and um, you know, it seems to remind you a little bit. Steve Bannon once called Orban Trump before before Trump was Trump. He was Trump before Trump was Trump. Right. <laughs> Paraphrasing a little bit. But. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, that, that's certainly Bannon's view of the guy. I think he said that about like other uh, right wing nationalist European leaders. Uh, but anyway, so um, Trump has shown a willingness to embrace. These guys, whether they're in France or Hungary or other countries or even um, internationally condemned guys like Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines, who's waging this death squad riddled um, war on drugs that's rightly hugely controversial. Whom Trump invited to the White House. And and endorsed his approach to the drug war, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that means in Trump's mind. But to you and me, it can only mean a couple of things. And that's the way Rodrigo Duterte has been executing it. Anyway, so... the president has shown a willingness to lend um, uh, his imprimatur, his presidential imprimatur, and support both materially and rhetorically to these guys who past presidents, including his predecessor, President Barack Obama, uh, shunned, including Viktor Orban, mm-hmm. um, who Obama refused to meet and have a phone call with uh, during his terms in office, specifically because <coughs> – excuse me. Yep. Uh, specifically because of his track record of degrading democracy 
uh, in Hungary in the service of his um, ultra-nationalist, ultra-Christian, um, quote-unquote, um, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant uh, fervor and policymaking. So Trump uh, loves this guy, brought him to the White House. His administration from time to time, including from the State Department, um, has at least officially been critical, Victor Orban. But um, as we reported at the Daily Beast yesterday, uh, Trump has been rather taken to the guy and impressed by him and and his style. And this included um, middle of last year, I believe in June 2018, when the two of them had a diplomatic phone call to talk about Viktor Orban forming his new government in Hungary. Um, and one of the things that Trump mentioned to people around him was that um, uh, they talked about a whole host of issues, national security concerns, what have you. One of the things Viktor Orban made sure to proactively bring up was Trump's uh, crushing electoral college defeat against Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. And that's an interesting and salient data point because it shows you um, a glimpse into not into Viktor Orban's and his allies in the United States and allied lobbyists two-year-long effort. It wasn't just this one phone call in 2018. Mm -hmm. This was a protracted two-year effort launched by Viktor Orban and uh, people allied with him in the United States, including in Congress, who have the presence here, to get Trump and Orban in the same room. And uh, those mm -hmm. two years of lobbying and pressure and gl glad-handing and, um, and outright flattery mm -hmm. to Donald Trump, because if and, you're a foreign leader trying to get in with him, it's pretty right. easy to crack the code of what this guy likes. And if you flatter him, he'll flatter you back and maybe even invite you to the West Wing. As uh, several people have learned that lesson and learned it well, right? Including and Vladimir Putin, of course. That, that, that's perhaps the most prominent example. The Chinese, the Japanese, everybody right. who Trump once criticized. Right. Uh, and this, the, the salient point, as you mentioned, is congratulating him on his historic crushing victory, right, in 2016. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. And Viktor uh, Orban supported, I, I believe he, he supported Trump in the 2016 election. He was one of the first world leaders to get out there right after Trump won November 2016 to say, congratulations, great job, man. Like, um, he's been savvy about this from the get-go because he has craved this sort of international validation as he's become more and more isolated. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, it, it, it behooves him and his regime to seem like the Russians, the United States, and the Chinese are all vying for his attention and love. Right. Uh, now, we've talked a lot this week, uh, yesterday uh, particularly, um, about this clash between the White House and Democrats in Congress over subpoenas, over some of the investigations uh, and some of the oversight hearings. There's also a clash going on in the United States, which you've written about, or at least uh, uh, in, on the, in the Daily Beast, some of your colleagues, or a clash in the Senate. But in the Senate, the difference is it's Republicans versus Republicans over potentially a second round of testimony from Donald Trump Jr. Yes. Where Richard Burr, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, wants him to come back. Mm. Why? Well, f first and foremost, Richard Burr is not running for re-election. That, so that is an incredibly that, relevant point. That's a very important point. He right? has So therefore, he's got a little more freedom maybe than some right, others. Right, right. And according to people <laughs> who've... Worked for him, worked with him, his colleagues, um, uh, lawmakers on Capitol Hill. He's uh, w w whatever this is worth. He's long prided himself on running a bipartisan committee. 
an investigation, right, with yes. Mark Warner from Virginia. Exactly, and playing uh, nice with the Democratic um, um, lawmakers. On but, that he, committee. So, but, but he's a chair, and he issued a subpoena to Donald Trump Jr. Yes. Uh, to, the, to force him to come back. Yes, thus setting up um, a potential vicious legal or court battle, depending on what route everybody uh, decides to go. Um, for starters, um, they could decide to um, vote to hold him in contempt. Mm-hmm. They could, um, um, and whatever results from this in whatever legal standoff, which would be like the umpteenth one existing within Trump world between Trump or his family and Capitol Hill Democrats, um, it could lead to yet another uh, protracted legal fight or court battle that, again, sorry to reiterate myself, it just feels like every single day we get a new one of these. So they just pile upon themselves again and again and again. And a lot of these may not even be settled um, before Trump gets out of office, even if he gets a second term. That's how long right. these things can get dragged out. What I find frankly, interesting about this is that you've got um, Richard Burr again, Republican chair of the committee, who's who who has to and who did issue the subpoena. Mm-hmm. Can't blame this on Democrats. And now you've got prominent Republicans like another chair right, of, course, of so. another committee, Lindsey Graham. Who has publicly said to to uh, Donald Trump Jr. just don't show up or ignore it, ignore the subpoena issued by his fellow Republican chair, right? And um and yeah, like I was saying earlier, basically everything else you can level at the feet of like Democratic led yeah, investigations, right. particularly coming from the House. Not You're right. The, the the interesting thing about this is it's uh it spurs on Republican on Republican violence, right? <laughs> and uh, Trump world. And its allies um, um, on Capitol Hill, including heavy hitters such as uh, Rand Paul, who has evolved into something of a, a Trump confidant, um, and uh, and Lindsey Graham, same situation. The um, have, have Trump confidant, right? Quickly, very quickly after this news broke uh, last week, descended upon Richard Burr in a. Sorry, sorry. Um, um, in in a PR offensive, to basically uh, call him, um, among other things, a squishy Republican, someone who's not willing to oh, stand up to the yeah. bully Democrats and the minority. Like the, the, one of the easiest shots you can take right now to to make sure that Don Jr. and President Trump like you is to beat up on Senator Burr, and it's um, um, a similar thing happened when Mitt Romney came out oh, against right. Donald uh, right. Trump after he mm-hmm. was elected mm-hmm. senator. So uh, th- there is a certain class of Republican where it can only benefit uh, other Republicans, the Republic, the majority of Republicans in the Trump era well, I want to, come back to, to my, beat up on. I want to come back to my initial question, which is, what is Burr looking for? Does he, he wants Trump Jr. back because he believes he lied the first time or... There are things he didn't tell them the first time? To, they... uh, to square inconsistencies that have been laid out by Michael Cohen's testimony. And again, Michael Cohen, um, whatever you think of uh, his former boss, Donald Trump, Michael Cohen, yes, he has tes- uh, um, given his testimony under oath several times. But he is a proven, known, famous, prolific liar. So the um, immediate response from Trump allies is, wait, you want to haul in the mm. president's son, a private c- citizen, a businessman. Uh, f- forget about all of his other political work and connections, but still, that's how they're characterizing it. 
um, based on the word of a known, proven Trump-hating, no, well, nowadays, Trump-hating liar who, um, who, who now sits in a cell. Um, well, and, okay, point, point taken, but there still are several inconsistencies that are glaring and set up based on the clashing uh, mm-hmm. testimonies. And um, Burr and, of course, others on the committee, um, including Warner, want this cleared up. And they think they can do it pretty quickly. At least I, I, I'm pretty sure Burr does, just by getting him in there to testify under oath again. Now, um, Donald Trump Jr. and people close to him uh, will argue that, well, there are other ways you could do that. What about uh, written questions and written answers. Why do we have to go through this gigantic public spectacle that could be um, uh, that could be humiliating to, you know, uh, uh, the president's eldest son or yeah. if not humiliating, at least a hassle. But, you know, the now they're now they're haggling over the details and we'll see what kind of uh, potential court battle this sets well, up. Well, two things before we move on. One is I believe the inconsistency part of it relates to whether or not Junior told his father about the famous June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower with the Russian operatives, right? He says he didn't. Michael Cohen alleges that he did. Well, I'm not sure if Michael... Did Michael Cohen even allege that he did? Michael Cohen was, was very in, squishy about it. He, he said, said it he was, sounded like... We raised a question. He was in the room right. when Donald Trump took a telephone call, which sounded to him like it was Donald Trump Jr. telling him about right. a meeting. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not definitive. But again, you're dealing with a known liar anyhow. But that's one of the issues I think they want to probe a little right, bit. Right, you more. have uh, that and that's the whole situation with, with all of these different clashing testimonies even right. under oath, under mm-hmm. uh, potential penalty of perjury, you have liars upon liars upon liars contradicting the, each other and, you right. know, here we go. But again, then final point just for the record, he may be the president's son, but he does not have any special standing under the law. Meaning of course not. Executive privilege or nothing would apply to him, right? Because he's no, of course not. Yeah, doesn't work in the White House, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, it, it's we don't know how this is going to turn out, but it's an interesting battle again, pitting Republicans uh, versus Republicans. One Republican in particular. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he's yes. he's a little bit of a, on an island. Yeah, I must admit that's true. That's a good point. I've not seen anybody else it, rise the, to Richard Burr's defense. The rapidity. Um, and rapaciousness of basically the entire Trump-led GOP just descending upon Burr <laughs> after this news came out broken by uh, um, um, Axios last week was brutally swift. Like, it was everybody knew what they had to do. Nobody had to be told by the boss whose head you had to lop off. Right. It, was, it was thunderously clear. Yeah. Bar- Burr is the guy that we have to go after, right? Um, the You may not have had a chance to look into this yet, but... Um, and I don't know more than I read this morning in the Washington Post front page article that it turns out, according to the Post, that part of the reason that Kirsten Nielsen, HHS secretary, lost her job is because the Trump administration was planning a massive roundup of some 10,000 uh, family members, uh, families, kids, including kids, uh, who had come into the country in the last few months, I guess, whatever, and deport them all. It's a massive raid and deportation. Yeah, I don't that know. Nielsen apparently opposed and shot down 
And that's one of the reasons for her sudden departure as HHS secretary. And one of the people who had been pushing uh, that plan was predictably Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller, uh, right. President Trump's uh, White House speechwriter and senior policy advisor and his main uh, senior policy advising has to do with draconian immigration policy. This is a guy who has been spearheading efforts within the administration to cut not just illegal but legal immigration. So um, he's sort of a case study and when Republicans say, uh, including Donald Trump, uh, when he says, oh, like all these people saying I don't like immigration. I love immigration. It's illegal immigration. I don't like that's on its face a lie based on the actual policies that they're pushing out on the record yeah. during his own right. presidency. So um, they're trying to limit legal as well as illegal immigration. Right. Yeah. And as we uh, reported at the Daily Beast shortly after uh, Nielsen was, uh, you know, finally pushed out. Uh, Trump has had his issues with her for uh, many right. months now for not being, quote unquote, tough enough on the border and migration and immigration, you know, and threatened uh, to fire her several it's, times. It's, it's sometimes hard to figure out what could have been tougher than the family separation policy that she oversaw. But, you know, deep, minor details. <laughs> so um, Miller and Nielsen, um, according to people we spoke to who work in the administration, used to work in the administration, uh, when they were in a room together for high-level meetings, you could – It almost made the atmosphere uncomfortable because you could palpably sense how much each of them detested each other. Uh, Miller thought Nielsen was a squishy bushy who was – and like President Trump thought she was uh, a wuss on immigration, whatever that means. And Nielsen, for all of her – for everything she did that can be chalked up to uh, what uh, you could call pretty horrific and draconian Trump immigration policy – even with all of that, she still thought Miller was a man who was uh, motivated by racial animus and a nut job. So um, even though these must guys have made for some pre- interesting meetings. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> and um, M- Miller had been trying to knife her and push her out the door and had been bad mouthing her to President Trump for a long time. So this was a long time coming. And even without that, President Trump had already let his own personal frustrations with her be known. And a lot of that seemed to amount to um, you are not breaking the law hard enough for me or (laughs) enough for me to enforce the vision of immigration for the United States that I want. And and again, that's why I keep coming back to, oh, it's uh, sort of. It's kind of hard without thinking of contraventions of international agreements and domestic law to figure out how much, quote unquote, tougher uh, Kirsten Nielsen could have been um, is because when President Trump complained about her or to her so often, that would be the logical, not just conclusion, but next step in terms of his demands to her. In fact, there were some orders (laughs) or uh, desires expressed uh, by Trump that she actively resisted, including to him directly, because she would say that that would violate the law. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like right. there are other brutal things that we could do, but uh, those things you're demanding aren't in that basket. So. Uh, in a sense, uh, she may be out of a job, but she may have won that particular battle, maybe lost the war, obviously lost that battle, because whatever was envisioned in terms of this massive uh 
sweep and massive, um, what's the word, uh, deportation never did happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was able at least to successfully uh, resist it. And the beat goes on, uh, and it never slows down. <laughs> Aswin Simpson, great to see you, as always. Always a Thanks pleasure. Thanks for coming in. You can follow Aswin and all of his colleagues at the Daily Beast at dailybeast.com, correct? Yes. All right. Uh, and follow him on Twitter and follow us on Twitter as well. And on Twitter, you are at Swin24, right? Yep, Swin24. Swin, S-W-I-N. I, I highly recommend two four. it. Uh, I, I, the, I also highly recommend <laughs> it. I highly recommend it. And you will not be bored because he tweets many, many times a day. And we are oh, at BP Show. Follow us as well. See you later. Nikki Schwab from the New York Post stepping in next here on the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go, Tuesday, Tuesday, May 14. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us today. We're wrapping up uh, a great, another great two hours of the Bill Press Show on the news of the day. No, no better way to wrap things up on this Tuesday than to welcome our good friend Nikki Schwab from the New York Post, who covers the White House. Uh, she covers 2020. You know, it's happening. She's there on top of it. I was following you last night. Hi, Nikki. Nice to see you. Good to see you, Bill. I was following you last night on this, this big, exciting event here in Washington where you had Bernie and AOC on stage quite, quite at the, the same event. event. Whoa. Uh, it was for the Sunrise Movement, which is sort of the group behind the Green New Deal. And uh-huh. so, obviously, they're uh, very supportive of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ed Markey, who is the Senate uh, co-sponsor for the resolution, which is sort of the current iteration of the Green New Deal on Capitol Hill. And then, uh, obviously, they're big fans of Bernie Sanders as well. So it was sort of an action-packed night of political speeches on the campus of Howard University here in the middle of D.C. Uh, but I thought it was kind of funny because, you know, you had uh, Bernie, who is a presidential hopeful, longtime senator, and he was sort of in the middle of the program. And the true sort of star of the night was uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, has she endorsed Bernie yet? No, she has not. <laughs> She's holding out to the, the New York primaries, my understanding. But, you know, it's interesting when I've talked to people about sort of the courting of her endorsement. You know, I think you've got people like Elizabeth Warren who really don't want her, obviously, to endorse Sanders quite yet, even though that would sort of be her natural inclination as somebody who... You know, worked for the Sanders campaign. A lot of her own Hill staff came from the Sanders campaign. That's what really got them into organizing. You look at Corbin Trent, who's her comms director. He's a total Sanders guy who came over to work for her. So it would make a lot of sense for her to endorse Bernie. But I think she's going to probably smartly wait until it has the most potency, which will be right before her own state's primary. Uh, And she could endorse somebody else. I mean, she could endorse. Yeah. I mean. She could endorse Warren. She could. Endorse, right. I mean, I think I think she's probably going to endorse Sanders. But don't I recall that uh, Bernie did not inter- endorse her in her primary against Joe Crowley? That wouldn't surprise me, though. I remember I'm I always pretty sure a, he did not. I'll, I'll double check that. But I understand why he might not get involved in a Democratic primary, too. And but, he was sort of in 16. If but you recall. she was a Bernie. Yeah, she was a, a, a Bernie gal. Volunteer. Yeah. Um. I remember in 16, there was a lot of debate of whether Bernie should have done a lot of down-ticket endorsements. And a lot of them that he did do were kind of too late, or he didn't do it at all. And I think about my home state of Pennsylvania, there was a really interesting progressive candidate uh, for Senate that he, you know, that that candidate was a Bernie guy, uh, is it Fetterman, who's now the lieutenant governor of the Mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Bernie didn't endorse him in time, and I think it would have actually helped voters 
to come out to the polls in the general if there had been a Bernie-endorsed Senate candidate that had gotten through the primary? Uh, one, I think it was your tweet or someone tweeted from the event last night that they, quoting someone, they never saw so many white people. Correct. <laughs> that uh, was a, from, Howard University. from an alumna from Howard, <laughs> Howard University. She actually turned around and took a selfie so you could see all the faces, all the white faces behind her. I mean, it was definitely a very uh, vi- a very diverse crowd, but probably, yes, more uh, white people than uh, that campus is used to in uh, that auditorium. Right. Now, um, what, what do these people think about uh, Joe Biden? Well, uh, Joe Biden's name was brought up once, and there was a loud boo <laughs> that went through the auditorium. So that's what they think about Joe Biden. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Joe Biden got himself into some trouble because he talked to Reuters And he talked about how he wanted to sort of have this middle of the road approach to climate change. And I mean, this is sort of smart for Joe Biden because he obviously wants to pick up independence. And he hopes that he's going to maybe get the left flank, too, if he ends up winning the Democratic primary. But but to be clear, we have not seen his climate change plan yet. So we don't know how middle of the road it is, how strong it is, how weak it is. Right. Exactly. And also, I mean, last night I was following tweets from another reporter who was with Joe Biden in New Hampshire, and Joe Biden was talking about, in very sort of similar language, there needing to be a green revolution. <laughs> so, I mean, that sounds very Bernie-esque. I mean, that was the first thing that Bernie Sanders said when he got on stage is, you know, it sounds like you guys are ready for a political revolution. So Biden is using that language as well. But because he made that middle-of-the-road comment, uh, he was basically used as a political punching bag, especially by AOC. Right. Uh, when is Biden going to re- 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 uh, release his plan? This week, is it? Or, I'm, I, I'm not. Afraid. I'm not okay. sure because okay. I, I haven't been traveling well, with Biden. Unfortunately, he notoriously said he was too busy to do it, which a lot of people got a little oh, annoyed by. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it it does. There, there have been several stories, and you've you've probably written on this too, that um, you know Biden had a little certainly rocky road before he announced with this whole thing about the touching, right? And oh yes. and everybody thought. That when Biden got in, it was going. He, there was nowhere to go but down. But you've got to say that since he got in, you know, he's had a little. He's he's got a bump. He's had a bump. They thought right? it. They thought it was and, the ceiling, and it apparently was not the ceiling. Right. And um, now I, I saw this morning a couple of people tweeting or commenting that really the whole issue today, the only question left is who is Biden's running mate. I'm Do you sure. see it that way? I don't think it's. I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's it's that settled at all. I think that we haven't even had a debate yet for all of us who are watching the Democratic primary to see how these candidates interact with one another. Right. I mean, that's when really you see people sort of bubble up. Um, and and sure, I mean, if you look at sixteen, Trump was ahead in the polls early on, and I think Carson briefly overtook him in the polls over like how many at of, one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but like at this point in that cycle Trump hadn't gotten in yet and Jeb was at the top of the polls right, right. and so Scott like, Walker was up there too and Scott Walker was way up there and he was like the first one to get out and so. Scott Walker was like one of the yeah like he was sort of this the sad think, guy at the fir- one of the first Republican debates like begging reporters yeah. to talk to him because yeah. he, he plummeted so horribly I also think that this time like 10 years ago in in, in the um in the uh, 2008 election Rudy Giuliani 
was up like 13 points. Yes, he also in that just, poll at this time. He also so decided like, not to participate in Iowa or New Hampshire. Remember right. and go straight oh, to yeah. Florida, which was oh, like no, no, that was terribly was, flawed. Yeah. But, but the Biden thing does feel different than both of those. It does feel like he could very well just cruise to this nomination well, if he Well, plays his well card one card. thing he has done, he has forced I think some people to and they're calling it the reset, right? Beto. Beto. That, uh, he's his, going on the View today, right? And, he and he's on, doing a CNN town hall. He's doing a CNN town hall. Uh, th- this is a guy who said, "I don't need to do television. I just look him eye to eye." Right? That's my. That's the way I did in Texas. The way I'm going to do nationally. Last night on Rachel Maddow, um, he uh, basically admitted that was a mistake. He's going to have to take a different approach now. So he's on Rachel last night. He's on the View today. He's doing a CNN town hall next week. So he's got to reset his campaign. Too late? Who knows? Um, uh, some people have said Kamala is, in effect, resetting her campaign. Yeah, yeah. By and being I, a little more anti-Trump, rather, you know, like Joe Biden started out with anti-Trump, talking about Charleston. I, I just wonder if there are so many choices for voters that they're going to be like, I give up. Biden, he works. Like, I'm, I like Biden. And also the fact that I think he's sort of the second place person for a lot of voters like even if they like Buddha judge even if they like Kamala like they're cool with Biden even like a lot of Bernie supporters I believe I would not have to look at the, the polling but my understanding is that a lot of Bernie supporters are like you know if, we, if I can't have Sanders I'm okay with Biden and if you think about how the Iowa caucuses work I mean if you don't meet that 15 percent threshold your people go to another candidate Right. Now, that could mean that Biden walks away with the Iowa caucuses simply because, you know, if you like all these sort of the, what I would call the second tier candidates, the Beto's, the Kamala's, the Elizabeth Warren's, I mean, and, and, and they're pretty strong second tier candidates. But if you still don't have enough people to meet that threshold, you're going to toss your support to somebody else. Is that going to be Biden or is it going to be Bernie? Right. Uh, by the way, uh, this is a point to repeat something we said earlier today. Uh, right on point. We have yet another candidate today, officially Steve Bullock from Montana. Yep. Put out a video over the weekend uh, and today said for sure. He's in. Uh, he's in. He's so, 23. There it is. I, I, That's I the official lost number? Track. Yes, because I I have a spreadsheet and I I include Mike Gravel in my count. Even oh, though that's the that's that's the one that we because there are differing. Some people say twenty two, some people say twenty three. I've, oh. I've had to argue this with editors so much, and I was like, here's my spreadsheet, and here, and I don't think you can like count like a Marion Williamson if you don't count a Mike Gravel, who actually does have a political past. So uh, I, I I agree. Okay, so it is twenty three. We were debating earlier whether it's twenty two, twenty three. It's, it's twenty three Democrats. Yeah. Two Republicans and potentially one independent. Who is Schultz? Oh right. Oh that's right. God, Forget, I totally. <laughs> see, for- we've we've completely forgotten about him. I totally forgot about uh, Starbucks. Mr. Mr. Starbucks. Right. Um, back to Biden. I saw last uh, Biden rather. I saw last week that that some um I was. Not here last week. That's why I say when I was gone. That some members of the of the Congressional Black Caucus are actually at the point they're talking about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That's it. Wrap it up. That's all we need. Let's go with it. I mean, it's awfully early to make that it's kind very of a statement, early. but it again shows that Biden has has had an an impact. And I think because surprising people saw, a lot of it. saw his poll numbers right. sort of bump up <clears throat> after his initial announcement. I think that that sort of was a uh, was something that that signaled that you know maybe we shouldn't have this you know protracted Democratic primary, especially because a lot of these candidates are young 
and could run in the next X many cycles. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's a, it's a good stable of people to get some national name recognition, play it safe this time around and beat Trump. And then we've got, you know, all these candidates. I mean, I think that's one way to think about it. But I don't think that that's going to appease progressive voters. I mean, certainly from what I saw last night, you know, they want they want substance. They want, you know, plans of action for things like climate change. And right. if Biden doesn't deliver on that, I still think that there's going to be an issue with a fractured Democratic Party. But to me, I see this primary as not one primary, but several within which there are there is one primary, but within it there are several mini primaries. Like, for the left lane, it's Bernie versus Elizabeth Warren, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So Elizabeth Warren's first challenge is to topple Bernie as the leader of the progressive lane. Yeah. What are her chances of doing that? I mean, she's been out there. You've got to admit, she's work. She's great in front of a crowd. I, I love her, but she's great on the issues. She has put out more serious policy pronouncements than anybody else. She's taken more selfies. Oh, I I've seen the, the coverage of hour. the selfie lines. Is she up to like 20,000 now? Yes, more. The selfie lines. Yeah, it's just crazy. So she is a phenomenal candidate. And she's but, going to places that Hillary did not want to go to. Yes. So all of that. She's doing, and doing I think, well, all the right way. things and doing well in those places. Right. Can she topple Bernie? Possibly. It depends. I mean, it depends on. I mean, I, I, I think that he still obviously has more name ID. Uh and but but it's all a but base it's, that he built up and, and over, has kept in touch over with. four years. Yeah, but or I guess less than four years, really. But yeah. uh, but you know, I I have not been out on the campaign trail with her, so it's sort of hard to say. I, I don't like making those judgment calls yeah. without actually yeah. talking to voters myself and yeah. seeing how she interacts with the crowd. But from my understanding of of, of how she's done in the news coverage, it does seem that she's sort of chipping away, but she's not there yet. And I haven't seen a significant, you know, bump in the polls for her because I do think that there's still this like horribly sort of sexist thought that she's unelectable and that Trump has done major damage with the whole quote unquote Pocahontas thing. So, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen. But again, we still haven't had a debate. Right. If she, you know, wipes (laughs) the floor with Bernie Sanders at the first debate and really sort of shows herself to be sort of the better progressive. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you've got uh, the other question people keep asking me, and I had this conversation at lunch yesterday, is who are who would you say are in the top tier? I mean, I would, let's see if we can agree. I would agree. I would have to say that the top tier today, as of today, include would be Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, yep. I think. And I'd put Kamala Harris up there, too. I'd put Harris and Buttigieg. Yeah, right. Yeah, I would, too. Buttigieg, surprise, surprise. Yeah, he's there. but he's but he's the he's sort of the new fresh thing, and and, right. and that's why Beto's struggling as well. Yeah, because you had you know even Beto seems quote unquote you know old for us in the political media because people had covered him in the last you know this last cycle, but like you know Buttigieg is like a shiny toy. Uh, Alfred D. Newman. <laughs> yes, which I didn't. I had to also. Oh no! Much like the oh, Buttigieg, no. I'm two years younger than him, and also, I mean, I I recall that cartoon, but I, but I yes had to Google that reference. I apologize no. to all of your older listeners. No, no, we've been asking everybody as they come in. I should have started up by asking you if you knew who Alfred E. Newman was. Without like, ha- like Mayor Pete, I had to Google it. Without having to Google it, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I did, but I thought Donald Trump showed his age a little bit by coming up with that, too. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. most people said, who? Right? 
Yeah. And uh, but uh, so back to so Kamala Harris still you would would put and she's been uh, again maybe part of her reset in terms of picking up some issues that others have not. I know you've been writing about her position on guns. Yeah, her first. And, and certainly there are other candidates who have made guns a big issue, but her uh, her sort of stance on guns is that if Congress doesn't give her a bill in the first 100 days, then she plans to take executive action and, and do something on it. And that's sort of a pledge she's made. She made it at first at a CNN uh, town hall in late April, and then she was on with Jake Tapper on State of the Union this past Sunday and sort of rearticulated that, and she's sort of trying to push Push that because I, I I don't think when it comes to the other top tier candidates, um, that they've they've clearly spoken about guns, but no one's sort of like taken that on as like their their issue. And I think she's you know that's one of the things that she's trying to do, especially with her sort of past uh, profession. Uh, especially right for the issue of guns, and to say she would do so by executive action. Yeah, I mean I remember the frustration among many progressives, myself included, the first four years of. Barack Obama, particularly the first two years when he had the Congress with him, and we kept pushing why, you know, the ban on assault weapons. Yeah. I mean, now's the time to renew it. Why not? Well, they kept saying, well, if Congress does it, we'll sign it. But they didn't. He didn't do any in the first four years. Nothing on on gun safety. I, nothing. I remember whenever I first came to Washington, which is about a decade ago, and and people at that point, or maybe it was a little before this, were saying that guns was a massively losing issue for Democrats, like it was like a third rail, they shouldn't touch it. Um, I think that's really changed. And I think you can sort of see that it's changed because of all the youth activism, uh, you know, inspired by, you know, what has happened with all these school shootings. But, uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, now a Democratic president probably would have the political capital to go in and, and, you know, do executive orders or actually maybe possibly get something through the Congress. Well, maybe not with the Republican Senate, but... Um, uh, the New York Times has a piece this morning, I believe it's the Times I read, uh, about one we haven't talked about. Um, and I keep thinking that that he will have his moment, but he hasn't yet, and that's Julian Castro. Easily gets forgotten, and yet he's a guy with a great resume. Yeah. He was the future of the Democratic Party, if you do recall, mm-hmm. in yeah. 2012. It wasn't that long ago. Right. I mean, and that's how sort of fast uh, I think the Democrats are, or I think you could probably blame us, the political media, of sort of cycling through like the next big things. But remember, I mean, he and he and his brother were brother. Well, they totally. were they were considered to be sort of the new faces of the Democratic Party. Uh, he was picked to do the keynote at the twelve conventions, and he already, you know, now he already seems stale. Even though I think he's, you know. If you, listen, if you listen to him, he's he's no, he's not. Great. No, he's, he's got a, great on the stump. He's coming he up with like an education policy this yeah, week, right? Uh, and uh, I, I say, and, and I, I think of, and the only Latino in the race, and the only Latino so, in the race. So for a lot of boxes that you would check, he should be uh, doing better than he is. But I think I'm not goes, blaming him. I'm yeah, just saying, no, I mean, yeah. I, I'm sort of blaming us as, yeah. as as journalists who you know are like, oh, Pete Buttigieg, he's like new and fresh, but you know, we're already sick of all these other people. Right. Uh, you know, I think they're going. This this field is going to be cut in half after the first debate. Yeah, I think so too. I think no, it ha- would no. have to. I'm not too worried about that. But I think the Democrats again, it's too much of a good thing. So we're going to have a uh, different different kind of Fourth of July this year, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, if Donald Trump has his way. If Donald Trump has his way, it sounds like he's going to take over the uh, the Lincoln and, and give a MAGA speech. And he wants to move the fireworks uh, from sort of more the mall to the Potomac River. Not exactly sure why that would make the view better, but that's part of the plans he wants. But this is this is so Donald Trump because this is one of these things that like a, a sort of standard president wouldn't get involved in, right? That's National Park Service. They, yeah, they, we've been doing it forever this way. They do the same thing every year. There's a concert on holiday, one side, right? Concert here, and now he wants to move it all to the Lincoln Memorial, and he will give a speech. Yes, as okay. if that's what. Americans want on but the 4th of July. But we should just be blaming Emmanuel Macron because it's his fault because he invited the president to, to Bastille Day during his first year in office and Trump saw this, you know, the French glorious military parade on the Champs-Élysées. And the first thing he wanted was a military parade. Yes. And then Washington, D.C. said, <laughs> yeah, you tear up Pennsylvania Avenue with those tanks and you're going to have to repave it's, it's it. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> let's not do this. And so now he's like, let's, I'm going to take over the 4th of July. And usually, you know, the president does do something on the 4th of July, but they do it from the White House. Well, they invite, you know. Well, they have a party. They have a party. Yeah. And he they says, happy 4th of July. And they watch the fireworks, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not. But and you you indicated a MAGA speech. I mean, there's no doubt if Donald Trump gives a speech on the Fourth of July, it's going to be all about Donald Trump. It's going to be a campaign speech, right? And it's interesting because you know, as a as a you know DC resident and and sort of looking at the the social media of other Washington residents, uh, and you know, we're a very liberal city here in DC. I mean, people are mad about it. People are angry that like you know this is sort of our city's celebration, and he's trying to to make it you know overtly political. I think I'll go out of town. <laughs> I mean, it I, is such a great tradition. And, you know, I mean, other cities have well, maybe better fireworks displays, but to see the fireworks with the Washington Monument in the background and the Jefferson Memorial and all that stuff, it's it's uniquely D.C. Yeah. And now and, it's going to be uniquely and, Donald Trump. But it is uniquely D.C., but people do tune in from all over the country because oh, you see the Washington Monument and the Jefferson Memorial and the Lincoln and everything. I mean, no, it's unless it's, very it's foggy much and they use old footage. That, uh, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do that too, right? <laughs> right. I respect the hustle. Yeah. I must tell you, so I can watch the fireworks from the balcony of our bedroom, right? I mean, amazing. And so, I don't have to. I don't have to give a damn what Donald Trump says down at the Lincoln Memorial. I won't be able to hear him. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I'll like, be able to see the fireworks. Yeah, most right. actual but residents still, find a roof a roof deck that has a good line of sight. It still just sort of steals the whole holiday from what, what it is. It's, it's everybody's holiday, right? The one day we can all sort of celebrate, and and this is just sort of puts a damper on it. But typical and, Donald Trump. And it's you know I mean it's it's sort of the sort of the. One of the main criticisms of this presidency is that he's not ever been the president of all Americans, and he's never wanted to be. He's been the president of his base, and he's you know continued to use rhetoric that that is you well, know many would say divisive. And so you know casting that upon a, a holiday that is supposed to speak to all Americans, I think is is really rubbing people the wrong way. It's a very good point. There's never he's never reached out or never given the. Uh, idea, right, that I'm here for everybody. No, it's uh, he's here for his base. I have to ask you before you go, because I used to see you more often uh, at the White House briefings. What are those? Are we ever going to have another one? I don't think so. 
I mean, I, I think that without announcing anything, they've come to the point where briefings are history. Yeah, I don't think, and you know what they've been doing now, and, and, and you've, you've probably yeah. recognized this too, is that any time you have Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Kellyanne Conway or basically anyone, Hope yeah. and Gidley, doing a Fox News hit, they then do a gaggle with reporters right. outside the White House afterward. So you basically have to like ask the guy who's like working for Fox that day, hey, are any of them on Fox? And you know, said reporter will be like, Yep, you know, there's a hit and, at two and, and three and blah, blah, blah. And, and then sort everyone of, gathers outside. Yeah, and then you sort of have to be around at that time yeah. or else you're screwed. It's it's sort of the weirdest way. And, and, and Or I do, when Donald Trump goes out to the helicopter, you gather yeah. 200 people trying to... Which is like quasi-dangerous because we're all it like, is. like, you know, stumbling over each other. And he's yeah. pulled it where he's, you know... Not left the West Wing, but left the residence, and everyone's scrambling and running. You've got ladders and cameramen, and it's not exactly the uh, safest situation. But they haven't figured out a better way to to sort of handle it. Right. No. Uh, in fact, so goodbye to the briefings. Don't have to worry about those. Rest anymore. in peace. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nick. It's always good to see you. Thank you. Keep up your energy and your good work. Thank you. Bill. And we'll see you again soon. As you follow Nikki at the New York Post, NewYorkPost.com. Tuesday, it's all yours. Make the most of it. But don't forget, come back and see us again tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.